Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. Um, I'm your host today, uh, Ian Lewins, one of the consultants there. And it's my pleasure, as always, uh, to be joined by, well, I'm going to say it, my favourite person on Twitter. Um, and that's Dr. Alistair Munro, who's a clinical research fellow in Peds Infectious Diseases. Good morning, Alistair. How are you? Good morning, Ian. I'm very well and I'm very afraid that people are going to look me up on Twitter and be very disappointed after your generous introduction. Oh, n- not in the least. I think your, your, your myth-busting is, is particularly popular and I've sort of seen lots and lots of very, very positive tweets about that. Um, but we're not talking about antibiotics today um, and we're not talking about bag urines today, which I, which I know will disappoint you. Um, we're talking about chicken pox today. Um, and I, I don't know if you, I don't use Facebook. Do you use Facebook at all? Um, sometimes if my wife wants me to look at something on it. Okay. Um, so I, I'm with Bob Rogers on this, who sort of described uh, Facebook as an educational cul-de-sac, uh, which I think is a very good description. Um, but the reason I mentioned Facebook is that we're going to talk about chicken pox and the use of ibuprofen. And I guess this first came to my attention uh, via, I think, my wife saying, have you seen this thing on Facebook? To which the answer is, normally, don't be so silly, I don't look at Facebook. Um, but chickenpox and ibuprofen, it comes, came as a surprise to me. In a, It's a bit of a no-no. Um, is this something that you were aware of? And, and it just I'm just displaying my ignorance. Or is this, how did you come to know about this? Um I had a similar experience. Um, I'd been in Australia for a few years doing some uh, work at a children's hospital out there. And some of you may know they immunise against varicella in Australia. And in the few years I was out there, I never saw a single case apart from a couple of uh, weird cases in neonates from some immigrant uh, families. But so my exposure to chickenpox actually hadn't been very much. And so uh, there was no, really no reason for me to have come across it. And then I was doing one of my early training jobs in the UK. And we had one of these typical scenarios where we had a young febrile child who had chickenpox. And they sort of seemed fine, but they were hot and they were tachycardic. And as is fairly common practice, we often like to see the numbers look a little bit better before children go home. And so uh, I was going to prescribe the child some paracetamol, but they'd had it only a few hours before. And so I went for my standard second line agent, which is ibuprofen. And one of the nurses said to me, oh, oh, Ali, no, we can't prescribe ibuprofen because this child has chicken pox. And I said, what's that got to do with anything? Mm. And she said, oh, uh, well, we can't prescribe ibuprofen for children with chickenpox. I said, why on earth not? And the nurse had no idea, but said, we just don't do it. I've just always been told we don't do it. And thus began my journey deep into the bowels of research about chickenpox and ibuprofen, which is actually on a night shift. So it was quite lucky because I had time to, to go a little bit deeper into it. But I just found it the most... It's, it's an interesting story and it's a sort of good lesson in a very large number of different medical evidence areas. Uh, and I mean, you, you, you could talk about them all for hours, 
which we won't today. But uh, the, the the reason I sort of ended up uh, writing a blog post on this eventually was because it came up on Twitter and someone posted, "Oh yeah, this is a this is a myth," and then a lot of other people went, "Oh, but well, but no, but short, but there's you know there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, so you just it's better off not doing it." And it seemed to you know provoke quite a lot of strong strong opinions in people. So I thought I would try and take a sort of open-minded view and just you know a very objective look at well where did this come from what is Mm. the evidence and and more to the point what we're really talking about is risk and something that we know is even doctors whose job it is really to manage risk are very bad at understanding or communicating risk Um, and so that's sort of what, how I got involved in, in writing a blog post and trying to sort of bring, shed a bit more uh, objective light to, to help people make up their own mind. So I, I, my sort of experience is similar to this was, you know, I sort of said, if, if I'm having to see a child in ED with chicken pox, and you kind of think, well, why am I seeing a child in ED with chicken pox? Um, I've always given paracetamol if they need it, and ibuprofen. And then, I, you know, having similar experience, people saying, oh, no, you can't do that. I thought, what a load of rubbish. Uh, of course you can't. I've never seen a problem with it. Um, and then I went on sort of the, the NHS. I thought, this, is, this can't be true. Went on the NHS uh, website uh, where it talks about chickenpox. And indeed, it does say that they don't recommend ibuprofen. So I, I had to sort of slightly eat humble pie, which I'm terribly bad at doing. Um, for those sort of not familiar with this, what is the worry about giving ibuprofen in chickenpox potentially so the story goes back quite a long way and it was actually originally there was just a series of case reports where someone noticed back in the days where ibuprofen wasn't over the counter and so you, you had to prescribe it and there was a bit more uh, awareness of it from that point of view was some doctors just seemed to notice an association between some invasive group a strep infections in children uh, and these children having been exposed to ibuprofen uh, and so there was sort of some case control studies and, and various bits and pieces and most of them are quite small the thing is is that what the concern is in chickenpox is necrotizing fasciitis mainly so you know a really severe skin soft tissue infection with group a strep which you know it's a very bad infection it's life-threatening yeah. um but it's very, very rare, and it's really difficult to study rare things, and it's mm. especially difficult to try and study risk factors for rare things. And so there's been a few studies that have sort of attempted to, to look at this, and in general, they just take a, a cohort of children with chickenpox who didn't get neck fash, and then they take a cohort of children who had chickenpox and did get neck fash, and look at what's the levels of exposure to ibuprofen between the two. And they seem to find this consistent association that children who have got necrotizing fasciitis are more likely to have been exposed to ibuprofen. And so this is where the concerns come about, that giving a child ibuprofen would somehow increase their risk of getting necrotizing fasciitis. Now, the, the problem is there's a consistent bias in these studies that's really mm. impossible to tease out, which is called confounding by indication. And what that basically means is that the causality that 
we assume when we think about this is that oh, if you give ibuprofen, you're more likely to get a severe consequence of the, of the disease. But actually, it, it might be the reverse, which is that if you're very unwell and you've got a severe form of disease, you may be more likely to have been given ibuprofen because you need additional mm. painkillers or antipyretics or, or whatever. And that's particularly true in some of these studies that are commonly cited is that, that there's actually no one paid any attention to even when the ibuprofen was given, whether it was before the child got neck fash or whether it was after the child got neck fash. Uh, so th this is something that is a very strong confounder in, in this evidence. And that's really almost impossible to tease out, uh, you know, without having really high quality data, which as more and more places are, you know, immunizing against chickenpox, it's going to become more and more difficult to, to try and get that evidence because, you know, the, the complication is so rare. Um, so that's, you know, sort of what the evidence says and the risk, you know, it goes from sort of an odds of two to, to five, an odds ratio of two to five. But that's the relative sort of risk increase. So that, that's relative to your, to your background risk. And as we'll all know from seeing newspaper articles and other stuff in the Daily Mail or whatever, giving just a relative risk increase does not give you the whole story. If you yeah. increase the risk by 10 times, but the risk is one in 100 million, then your risk goes from one in 100 million to one in 10 million, which is still not a very high risk of something happening. And so this is what I sort of wanted to understand is, well, if you did choose to give a child ibuprofen for chickenpox, what are you actually doing to their risk? I mean, yes, you could say, you know, you might be increasing it by two to five times, but but what does that actually equate to? And, you know, you, you can never get very definite numbers on these sorts of things because, like we said, it's very rare and no one's keeping the exact register, but it's just useful to have a ballpark figure. And so I, I sort of did some back-of-the-envelope maths. So if you look at the annual incidence of varicella in the UK, it affects about... 13,000 per 100,000 children under the age of five. And then if you look at what's the incidence of necrotizing fasciitis in children with chickenpox, it's about 0 0.05 cases per 100,000 children per year. So that works out at about 0 0.05 per 13,000 cases of chickenpox or 0 0.04 per 10,000 cases of chickenpox. So if your odds ratio is five, which is, you know, the worst case scenario from this study, you increase your odds by five times. So, so this takes you from 0 0.04 cases per 10,000 cases of chickenpox to 0.2 cases per 10,000 cases of chickenpox. So that's an absolute risk increase of 0.0016% yeah. exposing a child to ibuprofen, which is a small number, a very, very, very small number. Very small yeah. number. And actually, the, you know, what, what the actual number is, is, is sort of, you know, irrelevant. It's, this is obviously just going to be a very, very rough estimate, but it's a very, 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 very small number. And you can understand why people have taken a stance of saying, well, look, paracetamol is fine. And for most children, that is true. Paracetamol will do the job. And so if you've got an alternative, 
of which there is none of this uncertainty or oohing ahhing, just stick with the the one that no one's feeling funny about, and that's fine. Yeah. And you know that 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 is sensible. But for us as clinicians working in hospital who are seeing children with chickenpox, often we're seeing them in a scenario where paracetamol has not cut the mustard. And then you're left in a situation where you go, well, I just I can't do anything else because if I give them ibuprofen, they're going to get necrotizing fasciitis and mm. it's going to be dreadful. But I think it's just worth knowing what that actual risk increase is, if it is in fact real at all, which, you know, there's certainly no certainty about whether this is a, you know, a, a real association, uh, where, where there's, whether there's a, a causal association here. But even if you take, you know, the, the, you're trying to be super cautious, how much extra risk are you exposing that child to if you decide to give them some ibuprofen? And the truth is not very much at all. But interesting that that's now made its way into the you know official NHS advice. Yeah, it is interesting, and there's a there's a great uh, document that was actually made by the Southampton Medicine Advice uh, Service, so the the pharmacy service in Southampton, and they went into uh, you know quite a lot of detail about about these different studies, and the finding is fairly consistent. But if you take in sort of a, an epidemiologist's viewpoint on this. And you take some of the, you know, criteria that we would often use to uh, try and uh, determine causal effects. So there's a, a, a list of criteria called the, the Bradford Hill criteria that, you know, it's not, they're not firm criteria, but they're a very good general guideline for trying to assess causality. And actually, in this particular case, you know, it would, the association of ibuprofen with necrotizing fasciitis in chickenpox does not meet a large number of these criteria. The evidence is quite is quite poor. And it's sort of how we've ended up in this weird scenario where there's just sort of this general advice that maybe not everyone's aware of, but is just sort of out there going, oh yeah, maybe, maybe don't use it. Uh, and mm. that that you know has created a lot of uncertainty. And is there in the when you sort of looked at these studies, is there any proposed mechanism by whereby ibuprofen increases your risk of, of getting uh, fasciitis no <laughs> well that is to say <laughs> well, that, that is to say there's no so so this is one of the things so uh, uh biological plausibility is one of these bradford hill uh, criteria and in a very general sense the sort of pro- the proposed mechanism is well Inflammation is important for fighting infection. Ibuprofen reduces inflammation. Therefore, ibuprofen might be bad for infection. But why, why this would be the case very specifically for necrotizing fasciitis in the case of chickenpox, as there's no explanation for why, why that would be the case for this, but, but ibuprofen you know, is not a risk factor for every other conceivable you know, invasive infection in in children so it's very hard to sort of you know for that to hold any water Mm. Um, and I think the the other I guess from my perspective the interesting thing that comes out of it it goes back to um, kind of the the power of social media uh, in in the healthcare environment in which we work in that this you know this is something that I think recently many 
parents were far more aware of than healthcare professionals owing to sharing of posts on Facebook. Yeah, it. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I mean, it's a whole, there's, I, I try as much as possible not to go too deep into the, the, the social media networks about sort of lay people's health discussions and fears and stuff, because it's quite an overwhelming uh, ecosystem. I mean, so, I mean, my one of my jobs is, you know, I'm involved in vaccine research and every now and then I'll end up in a rabbit warren with, mm. you know, discussions about vaccine safety and stuff. And it's, uh, it's an overwhelming uh, arena to sort of dip, dip your head into quickly and, and see how much discussion is going on without a huge amount of informed opinion uh, and and it's a real challenge it's a real challenge because it's so readily available and it's just a google search away um, mm. and w- whatever is most extreme or most frightening will normally be the thing that people take home that people remember um, and usually that's not the most helpful thing for for parents to be aware of no, absolutely. I, last couple of questions then, and, and you know, this is a very biased question, but a, a anecdote does not equal evidence. Have you ever seen a fasciitis in a child with chickenpox? Because I, in 20 years, certainly haven't. I have not, no. In fact, I've seen, uh, I've, I have seen one case of an invasive group A strep infection secondary to chickenpox, but it was a very, 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 it was a liver abscess and it was, yeah, it was not 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 the type of thing we're talking about. No. So I guess that the the, uh, the bottom line for, for people listening to this, so for your person, your SHO on nights in ED who's being asked to assess a child with chickenpox who's hot and bothered and has had some paracetamol and is still very hot and very bothered, what would your advice be to that SHO, that nurse practitioner, about giving ibuprofen to make this child feel more comfortable who's got chickenpox? So I would, I'm a very strong advocate of shared decision-making in this scenario. Um, And I think if you're, I think you need to be aware of the risk you're discussing. So, so just having an awareness that there has been an association in some very small, fairly low quality studies, but that, the actual occurrence of necrotizing fasciitis is extremely rare and that even if ibuprofen does increase the risk, it increases it by a very, very small absolute amount. And just having that discussion with the parent and saying, look, you know, I can see your child's very uncomfortable. We've tried a paracetamol and unfortunately that's not worked. We can give them ibuprofen. A lot of people, uh, you know, are a bit wary of doing so because of these old studies that have suggested that it could increase the risk of uh, some severe skin infections. But the risk is very, very small and it's unproven. And it, we could feel that in this scenario that the benefit of giving ibuprofen outweighs the potential small risk of uh, any you know, severe skin infections. And then just have that discussion with the parent and see how they think. And I, I think a lot of the time, if their child is you know, in distress, um, 
they'll be willing to tolerate a you know theoretical small increased risk of you know a skin infection or whatever um and if not then then that's fine you know it's for symptom relief at the end of the day it's not uh you know giving ibuprofen isn't a life or death treatment but uh i think it's worth us having that discussion and just allowing the parents to to you know, be involved in in that decision making process completely agree and i think it's it's having that involvement isn't it um and our understanding of risk, which I guess maybe we could talk about some other time. Um, but for today, uh, thank you so much, Alistair. Um, that's great as always. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Ian.